Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together this morning. Thank you for this amazing church. Thank you for a church that prays. Lord, as we, as we heard all of these testimonies of your healing power, thank you, Lord God, for what you are doing in this body. Thank you, Lord, for the healing that you have brought. Thank you, Lord God, for the people that you have brought here this morning, Lord God, and for, and for this church that is a powerhouse church in Knoxville for your glory. And Lord, I pray that you would draw us deeper in love with you and draw us into deeper relationship with you today. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for the lost like never before. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this great city. I thank you for the people that come to this city from all over the world. I thank you for the opportunities that are at our doorstep the opportunity, opportunities to share the gospel. Thank you for the nations that you have brought to this city. And Father, I pray, Lord, that each of our eyes would be open to the opportunity around us to share your love, your truth with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when we moved to Bangladesh in 2011, which seems like a long time, well, it was a decade ago, um, we were, you know, we had like crazy culture shock when we first moved there. We, we like I said, our, our two older kids, they were very young at the time, four and three, and uh, we, we were in this apartment in the capital city and kind of just going a little bit nuts for a couple of weeks, just figuring things out and figuring out where to buy things and, and how to live in this brand new place. And so about three weeks into our time in, in, that, in, in our very first term, my wife and I got this harebrained idea that we were going to take our kids to the Dhaka Zoo. And we lived in the capital city of Dhaka and, uh, you know, I, we, our kids love the Knoxville Zoo, by the way. I, it was really cool to see the entrance of that as passed by. We used to live in Kingsport, and we would come here to your city to the zoo because you have a great zoo here. And so our kids always have loved the zoo. And so we, uh, we were like, you know, we got to get out of this apartment. Let's go have some fun in this brand-new city that we're in. And so we, we decided to take our kids to the zoo there in Bangladesh. Everything, we got to the zoo. Everything was normal at first. The kids were enjoying all of the animals, especially the ones that were inside cages. And, uh, you know, people were, t as, as we were looking at the animals, people were walking around taking our pictures. There were more pictures and videos of us on YouTube that day than any, any of the animals, I guarantee it. And, uh, and about two hours into our time at the, the Dhaka Zoo, we thought, you know what, we're good. We've, we've had our, our fill of this brand new experience at the zoo. The kids are happy. Let's go before they're not happy. <laughs> you, know, you know how it is when you're parenting. It's like, let's time this thing right. So, so we decided to make our exit. Well, on the way out of the Dhaka Zoo, I uh, started talking to this guy. He had on his white prayer cap, his white prayer clothing from his shoulder to his ankles. His wife was staying beside, beside him. He had a, she had on a full black burqa. From head to toe, all you could see were her eyes. And as she is talking to our kids, Gary and Joel, I started, you know, I'm talking to this guy. And, but then all of a sudden, our, my conversation with him takes a very unusual turn. He takes a step towards me and says, tell me, are there Jews in your country? And I just froze. I'm like, why in the world 
is somebody like that asking me a question about Jews. I don't want to talk about Jews with this man. And so because I froze, he asked me again, this time a little bit more forcefully, I need to know this. Are there Jews in your country? Well, by the time he asked me a second time, I'm motioning to Jillian, grab the kids and run. Let's, let's get out of here. And so he asked me again a third time. We leave the, the DACA zoo. That was the end of our, of our zoo experience for the day. A couple days later, I'm sitting in my apartment with my area director, who's kind of like my boss, and he's coming to check on us, make sure we were all still alive and everything. And, uh, and I say to him, I'm like, Dwayne, this, this strangest question came up the other day at the DACA Zoo. This guy wanted to know if I have Jews in my country. Why would he ask that? And my friend just almost fell out off my couch laughing. He said, Mel, in the Bengali language, they, they don't always say the zuh sound. It comes out like a ja. So he was only asking you if you have zoos in your country. That's all he wanted to know is if you have zoos. And he's probably thinking, this crazy foreigner doesn't want to answer a simple question about a zoo? Come on! Well, what, brothers and sisters, what I learned on that day and every day since was that Muslims want to get to know us. They're very curious about our lives. And I cannot tell you how many times that curiosity alone has led to conversations about Jesus. You know, I missed that. I missed an opportunity that day, brothers and sisters, out of fear. I missed it because I, I saw him. I had these preconceived notions in my head, you know, and I, I wasn't, we were so new in the country. I hadn't met a lot of Muslims yet. And right off the bat, I thought, oh, danger. <laughs> but there was no danger. You know, fear will keep us from talking to who we want to talk, talking to who God calls us to talk to and going where God calls us to go. What I want to talk to you for the next few minutes, and Pastor BJ told me that you guys normally go to about 2 p.m. on Sunday afternoons. I'll have you out by 1.30, so it's all good. Just kidding, just kidding. But I want to talk about our response to the lost. You know, when it comes to lost people, and I know I'm speaking to a group of believers in the room, but I, I, I don't know if uh, there may be even someone in here that you haven't yet named the name of Christ. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you today. Just like we sang about the Father, the loving arms of the Father. Come to the Father. His arms are open wide for you. And if that's you, uh, we're going to uh, just want to challenge you to let your heart be open to how God might draw you to himself today. But you know, as believers, we may have different responses to the lost. You know, the, the, there are times that we may be afraid. And, and in terms of ministry to Muslims, we, we run into that a lot. There were times when we lived in Bangladesh that I felt like I had to stare fear down every day. And fear is a big one. It makes me think of, uh, you know, the Bible story, a uh, very familiar Bible story from 1 Samuel chapter 17, where the Israelites were facing a giant. And, uh, and, and the, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11, I'm sorry, my, my font is a little bit, little bit askew there, but you can see here it says, when Saul, the king of Israel, and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, that's talking about Goliath, the big old mean scary giant, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear can be a natural reaction when it comes to a big old giant like that. Fear can be a natural reaction when we 
face the lost because lost people can sometimes do scary things. And I want to tell you something, church, that the, the, I believe the church is facing many giants today. And one of those giants is a giant of Islam. And God is looking for people who are going to be like David, who strolled into that Israelite camp and looked at that big, mean, scary giant and said, you know what? This is not right. This giant is defying the armies of the living God, and this should not be going on. And we all know the story of what David did and how God used him mightily to take the giant out. God is looking for believers who are not going to stand and cower in fear when it comes to ministry to Muslims, when it comes to sharing the gospel with Muslims, when it comes to talking to Muslims about the most important thing to us. God is looking for believers who are not going to be afraid who are going to lay aside the fear when it comes to ministry to Muslims. It makes me think of uh, this dear brother in Africa named Edward. We, uh, he, he, Edward in, is in the Congo. I hope to see him later this month. Um, after, after we spent some time with Edward and, and training him and equipping him to, to reach Muslims in, in his area, Edward felt in, reinvigorated to share the gospel with a Muslim friend. See, Edward was, was kind of fearful of sharing with this Muslim prior to us coming. It's not that he was afraid, like danger afraid. He was afraid, embarrassed afraid. He just like, was like, I don't know where to even start the conversation. How do I share, share the gospel with a Muslim? I don't know how to do that. And so we, we spent a week with Eric and other pastors at, at his Bible school just sharing about, about God's heart for Muslims and how to talk to Muslims about the Lord. And he began sharing the gospel with a Muslim friend. And uh, it was so awesome. One, one morning, this, this Muslim guy came into Eric's house saying, I want to know you're Jesus. Because great things happen when we open our mouths and proclaim. When we lay aside the fear, whatever the, that fear is, whether it's a fear of embarrassment, fear of, of just not knowing what to say, fear of danger. He laid aside the fear and started opening his mouth and proclaiming the gospel. And something happened. That Muslim is not a Muslim anymore. He's, he's, he got gloriously saved and he's now a part of Eric's church and he's being discipled because Eric laid aside the fear. Fear can be a natural reaction to the lost, especially in terms of, we, you know, we all know the history. We all know things that have happened and continue to happen in our world. And it's hard. It's hard. It's things that we have to wrestle through. But God is calling his people to rise up in boldness and lay aside the fear. Don't let fear keep you from going where God has called you to go. Don't let fear keep you from talking to who, who God has called you to talk to. It may be a neighbor, it may be a coworker, it may be going across the seas or across the street, but God has called us to lay aside the fear. Another response that, that we, we can sometimes have to the lost is, uh, is that of anger. When my wife was in Papua New Guinea uh, just before the pandemic, she was teaching this group of national pastors there. And on the very first day of class, this was a Monday, the very first day of class, Jillian asked the class, what is the very first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Muslim? And one of the national pastors stood to his feet. And there's a picture of the class there. One of the national pastors stood to his feet and said, as a Christian, I hate them. That was his words. What my wife didn't know is before coming to Papua New Guinea, the same pastor had been talking with other men in his village 
and making a plan to burn down the local mosque. They were angry that Muslims were coming into their area. They were angry at what, they, they were concerned about what that might mean for their area, what that might mean for the economy, what that might mean for their way of life. They were, and their reaction to all of these lost people coming into their area was one of anger. It reminds me of a, of a story, another story in the Bible that I just, I, I, find, I find this fascinating. We read in the book of Luke chapter 9, uh, and, and let me set this up a little bit. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to go to the cross for you and for me. And on his way there, he's stopping through some villages of the Samaritans. And, and you know, back then, there was no Holiday Inn Express or Staybridge Suites to, to stop in at. You depended on the hospitality of strangers to take you in. Uh, and you, you, you had to have that. Otherwise, it would be very difficult to travel anywhere. But as Jesus is going through these different villages, the Samaritans would not have him. They would not welcome him. They wouldn't feed him. They wouldn't give him shelter. And in reaction to that, we read this in Luke chapter 9, verses 54 and 55. And when Jesus' disciples, James and John, saw it, that is the inhospitable nature of the Samaritans, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Kind of a natural reaction, right? I mean, here's the Lord of the universe. Here's the, the Son of God. And they won't, even, they won't even give him a meal. They won't even give him a place to stay. On his way to Jerusalem, they were angry. You know, sometimes lost people do lost things that make us angry. And this can be a very natural reaction. But I want you to notice, Jesus doesn't go along with that. Jesus doesn't give, give uh, credence to their anger, to this reaction of anger. The very next part in verse 55 says, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. Jesus turned and rebuked them. You know, a reaction to anger to the lost can be something that it just kind of flows because when lost people do lost things, sometimes it's like, man, this really upset me. This really makes me mad that they did this. But it's not the reaction that Jesus wants for us as his people. It's not the reaction that Jesus wanted for his disciples or for us today in terms of the lost. I believe that the Lord is calling us to lay aside our anger and our fear when it comes to re reaction, reacting to the lost, when it comes to our response to the lost. But you know what? Fear and anger, I don't believe are the worst responses you and I can have to the lost. I believe the very worst response that you and I as Christians can have to lost people is indifference, indifference. When you and I walk past the lost every day, or we hear about things happening in another part of the world, and we take no thought for their spiritual plight, we take no thought for the fact that many are on their way to a Christless eternity unless someone shares with them and unless they receive the gospel. When, when, when we are indifferent, I believe that that is the very worst response. I, I want to share another passage of scripture and, uh, from one of my favorite parts of the Bible. I, just, I love the book of Jonah. How many of you love the book of Jonah? Just, 
It's, it's, it's a very, if you haven't read the book of Jonah or you haven't read it lately, I would encourage you sometime this week. It's only four chapters. It doesn't take long to read it. It's just awesome, though. And, and what, a, what an amazing picture of, of, of like someone who is, is uh, reluctant to follow the call of God. You know what? One of the things I love about the Bible, and we just saw, that, saw this in, in the book of Luke, the Bible isn't about perfect people. The Bible shows us a picture of a perfect God, but God uses a lot of imperfect people. And, uh, and when we see the, the different people in the Bible, it's not, it's not a picture of like these, these amazing people that never did anything wrong. And we will see that here with Jonah. Here's this prophet in the Old Testament who God calls to go to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah just says, oh, yes, Lord, I will go. No, that's not what he says. Actually, he gets on a boat going the opposite direction. Because he's like, I'm not going to Nineveh. No way. He hated those people. So he had some anger for sure. But he was also very indifferent to the spiritual plight. And we'll see that. And many of us know the story. Jonah goes the opposite direction through a miraculous and dramatic turn of events. He gets thrown overboard because the, the people on the boat are like, you know, you're under the wrath of God. So, something's not right here. You got to go. They throw him overboard. A big old fish swallows him up, which actually saves him from drowning. And uh, he spends three days in the, in the belly of a, of a fish and then gets vomited up on the, on the beach and then finally says, Lord, okay, I'll go. It's like, wow, couldn't you have just done that to begin with? But, you know, but here's Jonah, the reluctant prophet. And he goes to Nineveh, preaches to them, and they all repent. Now, I don't know about you, Pastor BJ, but if, but if that happened... And, you know, like if, if I was able to, to go preach somewhere and the entire city repents, like the Bible says happened in Nineveh, I'd be thinking that's a pretty good day. This is awesome. Man, God, God did a great work. God, like all these people have repented and this is great. But as we, as we see in chapter four of the book of Jonah, that's not, that's not his reaction at all. The people of Nineveh repent. He accomplishes his mission what God had called him to do. Yet Jonah, in chapter four, he goes and sits on this little hill. The Bible says that, that this, this uh, branch, grow, this plant grows over him and he's sitting in the shade and he's happy because, you know, in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, oh, so Jonah's there and he's thinking any second, okay, these people repented, but God's still going to take them out. God's still going to wipe him out. So he's just, he has a front, he's got his popcorn. He's got a front row seat to watching the wrath of God take out the Ninevites. But then the Bible says a worm comes and eats that plant. And now he's, his bald head is sitting in the hot sun and he's uncomfortable and he's getting upset. And that's where we pick up in Jonah chapter four, verses 10 and 11. And this is just, this is just, Awesome, seeing God's heart here. And the Lord said, you pity the plant. That's the, one, the plant that was given all that shade. For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand? You know what I think the Lord was saying to, Nona, uh, to Jonah there, brothers and sisters? Jonah, you are more concerned about your comfort than the spiritual plight of those people down there. Wow. 
yeah, you're angry with them. You're also, you're, you don't care. You are spiritually indifferent to where they end up in eternity. You are more concerned. You, you get more angry over losing the shade over your head than the sin that was in that city. And now the people have repented. You get more angry over your own comfort or losing your own comfort than you do over the lostness of those people down there. But look at God's heart. God says, I, I pity them. You know, God thinks about the lost. Isn't that amazing? God thinks about the lost. The people that you, that you go around, the, the people in your circle who don't know the Lord, God's thinking about those people. Should I not pity them, God says to Jonah? You know, that they say that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. That's what many Bible scholars believe, and that's really cool because that tells me that Jonah probably had a moment where he repented. <laughs> wow. sure. to, to have written all this down for us to, to have as a record. At some point, Jonah got it. You know, it takes us a while to get it sometimes, doesn't it? It takes us a while. But God was speaking to Jonah's heart. God showed Jonah something powerful there. He showed him where he was at. You know, isn't it awesome? God is so patient with us. And he shows us where we're at. He, he reveals our own hearts to us. It's like, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? What, you know, Jonah was doing many of the right things. He was preaching. He was doing the ministry. But his heart wasn't right. And God put his finger on it. God's saying, I, I think about those people. Jonah, what are you thinking? Are you thinking about the plant? You think about the people. What are you thinking about today, brothers and sisters? Are you thinking about the plant of the people? Are you thinking about all the things that you need in your life and the comfort and things that you, uh, is, is that, is, is, does that have your mind? Does that have your heart? But what about the lost? God is thinking about the lost today. Before you came to Jesus, God was thinking about you. God was thinking about you. You were on his mind. And, and the people in your life that don't know Jesus, they're on his mind today. When is the last time we thought about the lost? When is the last time we were awakened in the night with the weight of the lostness around us? The weight of a Christless eternity coming for those who don't know the Lord. I'll never forget the moment in my life when the Lord really, I feel like, dealt with my own indifference towards the lost. I was a freshman in college, and uh, I was at a state school in South Texas, uh, not too unlike um, UT right here in Knoxville. And uh, I, I, had, I began having a crisis of faith. I, I grew up in church. I, I knew that Jesus was for me. I loved Jesus. And I knew that I wanted to follow him my whole life. But for the first time in my life, as a freshman in college, I began to, to meet all of these people from different backgrounds, from different, uh, that had, who had different beliefs. I had a, a Muslim who lived in my dormitory, and uh, I had never met a Muslim before. I had a Taoist right across the hall from me, this guy who believed in the Eastern religions. I was meeting all these atheists and agnostics, and, and it was just, it was overwhelming because I thought, well, 
I, 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 be, I there was a, this question that was in my mind. I just, I knew that Jesus was for me, but is he for them? I knew that, that I wanted to follow Jesus, but, but the question I had in my mind was, well, so if my Muslim friend follows his way, his path, his religion, and he does all that he's supposed to do in his faith, in the end, is he going to be okay? In the end, will, will Allah just let him into paradise? If he does all that he's supposed to do, if I do all that I'm supposed to do, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay, he'll be okay. That was a question that was in my mind constantly. One day I took a prayer walk through this beautiful campus and I, I had my Bible with me and I sat down on this bench over, overlooking uh, part of the campus and uh, just a, it was just a beautiful day. And I began to pray to the Lord about this. This was really on my heart. And I opened up the Bible and the page fell to John 14. Now, Pastor Rick, I'm not always into lucky dipping, but on that particular day, it was, it was good. It was good. And uh, so I... I, uh, I started reading in, in John chapter 14, and I got down to verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And you know, this is so awesome about the Word of God, Pastor BJ. When There are times in our lives where we can, we can already have read a scripture many times, but God will drop the truth of that, of that scripture in our hearts like never before. And on that, in that particular moment, it's like I felt the Holy Spirit saying, Mel, your Muslim friend, he's not okay. He needs me. Your Dallas friend, he's not okay. He needs me. I am the way to the Father. And when I really got a hold of the truth of John 14, 6, that changed everything for me. It changed the trajectory, trajectory of my life. Because... My conversations with my Muslim friend and others couldn't be the same anymore. He needed to know Jesus. And then I began to think about the implications of that verse. What about people on the other side of the world who had never heard? What about them? And uh, I transferred to a different school, uh, AG Bible College in the Dallas area, and because uh, I wanted to study missions. I couldn't be spiritually indifferent anymore. Not if I really believe that. If I really believe that, that changes everything. That changes everything. I believe the Lord is calling us, brothers and sisters, to lay aside the spiritual indifference, to lay aside the fear and the anger, and to take up a fourth option, uh, a, a different response, and that's the response of love. Response of love. Now, having a, a response of love to the lost, I don't think it's a natural thing. I don't think in our own selves it just it just flows easily. But I do think it's the response that the Lord is calling us to take up. And I want to just real quickly share two ways that I believe we can, as believers, develop a response of love to the lost. And this is how it's worked in my life. First of all, by praying for the lost, by praying for the lost. When I was a student back at, at an AG Bible college and uh, 20 years ago, I started going to this prayer meeting for Muslims. I didn't know a lot about Muslims. I'd had a Muslim friend at that other college, but I didn't know anything about Islam. And I just started going to this prayer meeting for Muslims. I met every Friday. And it's amazing when you start praying for somebody, you start getting a heart for them. <laughs> 
it, it's it, it's just awesome how that works. I think that's why the Lord t tells us to pray for our enemies because if you start praying for your enemies, they're not going to stay your enemies. And so I just started praying, started praying for Muslims, started going to this prayer meeting, and uh, had a professor in Bible college that used to say, "Burden is built on information." And as I just started learning about Muslims through praying for them, boy, God got a hold of my heart for them, and that burden has never left. And uh, and I just I would I would challenge you and encourage you, pray for the lost. When the Lord brings those people to your mind, people that sometimes it may be a struggle not to be angry at or indifferent to, start praying for them and see what God does in your own heart. You know, there's such a multi-dimensional benefit to prayer. There's there's of course the miraculous that happens and that we've heard about happening this morning, but there's also the the aspect of what God does in our own hearts when we pray, when we pray for the lost. And uh, interesting thing about that prayer meeting is called Juma Prayer Fellowship. The ministry that we're a part of now, Global Initiative, they're the ones that started that. So we've kind of come full circle. There's an app for Juma Prayer Fellowship, just as an aside. If you're interested in getting prayer requests for Muslims, I'd encourage you to, to do that. And uh, we pray every Friday. And we estimate that about 60,000 believers all over the world are joining us in prayer every Friday for Muslims, and uh, would invite you to join us in that. So first of all, by praying for the lost, that's one way we, we can develop and, and start um, having a response of love. But then the next part, and uh, this is my favorite part, if you haven't listened to anything else I've said, just start listening right now, because uh, this is where it gets good. But I, w in order to develop a response of love to the lost, we've got to remember where we came from. We've got to remember where the Lord has brought us from. I love the book of Ephesians. How many of you love the book of Ephesians? That's just, it's probably one of my favorite epistles. And Ephesians chapter two is like a mountain peak of a chapter uh, to me. But Ephesians chapter two, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. He's speaking to a group of Gentiles who he's encouraging that, you know, for, for centuries before Christ, there were, there were Gentiles who occasionally joined in, in, in worshiping the God of the Jews, but there was always this separation. There was always a kind of a dividing line between Jew and Gentile. And Paul is saying, look, that Christ abolished the wall. He tore down the wall. Now you're in, you're fully into the family. But he's, he's admonishing the Gentiles, remember where you're at. Remember that you were at one time separated. You were, at, you were at one time outside of the family, but now you're in. But don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. Aren't you thankful, church, that the Lord has saved you? Aren't you thankful that you have come into the everlasting arms like we sang about this morning? Aren't you thankful that, that because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you have, brought, you have been brought near to the Father? Oh, what a glorious truth that is. I want to read a little bit more of this chapter. This is awesome. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's where we were. That's a description of us before Christ. 
Church, we were lost. None of us came out of the womb righteous. None of us did. And when we remember that, when we remember where we came from, where the Lord has brought us from, when we are tempted to be afraid or angry or indifferent at lost people, boy, we think, man, I, I did that. I was like that. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would still be doing that. Right. We got to remember where we came from. You know what my two favorite words in the whole Bible are? It's the two words in verse four, the very next two words after what I just read, but God, yes. but God. We would be lost, but God. Amen. Think about where you'd be, but God, but God. And when you and I remember where we came from, where the Lord has brought us from, we're going to look around at the lost things happening, the lost, the lost people around us, and we're going to have grace towards them because we're going to want them to have what we have. We're going to remember that, man, I was right there. I was right there. And I want them to have what I have. Let's lay aside our indifference, brothers and sisters. Let's respond in love to the lost praying for him, remembering where we came from. I'm going to close now. I'm going to wrap it up. And I'm Pentecostal, so sometimes there's more than one closing, but I'm going to do my best, Pastor BJ. Um, and this, this is my favorite part, too. You know, if we, were find, if we find ourselves as believers responding to the lost with fear, anger, or, or indifference, and we've all been there. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I was afraid in Bangladesh. And I think that indifference is really tough because the thing is, you know, you know when you're afraid and you know when you're angry, but sometimes you don't even know when you're indifferent. It's insidious. It hides. It hides. And we need to ask the Lord to awaken us to the horror of the spiritual plight of those around us. But all of us have been, have been there. All of us have struggled with that and, and still do. But I'm thankful today that God is the God of another chance. Yes. When it comes to our response to the lost, when it comes to how we interact with lost people around us, God is the God of another chance. You know, you, you, know, you may be thinking, man, I, 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 have, I have done this. I've, I've been angry. I've been afraid. I, boy, I didn't realize how indifferent I was. Well, God is the God of another chance. I love this in, in the book of Acts as we close up today, just want to look at this in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 14. And then we're also going to read verse 25. You can see it there on the screen. It says this. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now, hold on just a second. Who do we read about in the book of Luke? He wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Wait a second. Now let's read verse 25. Now when they had testified the spoken word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Boy, I love this. God is a God of another chance. Here's John, James and John in the book of Luke saying, let's call out fire on these people. We are upset. We're mad. We want to wiped off the face of the earth. A little bit later, after the cross, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, here's John going to Samaria and preaching the gospel. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Here's John loving on people that you wanted to call fire down on because God has got him another chance. 
So no matter no, no matter where you're at today, brothers and sisters, no matter how you have responded to the lost in your life up to this point, God is the God of another chance. I want to challenge you. Lay aside the fear, anger, and indifference. Let's love the lost. Let's make it hard to go to hell from Knoxville. Let's make it hard for lost people to go to hell from Knoxville. You know, I told you the story about Jillian being in Papua New Guinea and the pastor who stood up and said, as a Christian, I hate them. But you know what's cool? So that was Monday. By Thursday of that same week, that pastor was leading his class in a prayer of intercession for Muslims. Because God had gotten a hold of his heart in the course of those days when he just began to, he came face to face with the lostness of Muslims. And he, and he saw the reality that, yeah, man, if Jesus Christ is the only way, man, they got to know. They deserve to hear the truth about Jesus Christ. They got to know. And that same pastor who wanted to burn down the, the mosque in his village is now engaged in ministry to Muslims on the border of Papua New Guinea and Indonesia. He started loving Muslims because God is the God of another chance. I want to ask you today, brothers and sisters, where is your heart at to the, towards the lost? I know there are many in this room. You're already there. You're already loving the lost. You're already, you're already, you know, neck deep in the the waters of God's will for your life and 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 going after it. And if that's you, man, I say, keep going, keep going deeper, keep keep doing all that God has called you to do in reaching the lost. Praise God. If that's not you, you know what? It's a new day. It's a new day for you to be used by God to reach the lost. I want to ask you if you would mind just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. As, uh, as I was talking this morning, there may be some in the room who... You know, just just to, just a message like this kind of may bring images to your mind or names to your mind. People in your life who are lost. You know, even as I'm talking, I have people coming to my mind. <laughs> people that I haven't always done the best with. I haven't always responded the best with. I think of that, especially in terms of family members. Sometimes that's the hardest. But I want to tell you today, brothers and sisters, God is the God of another chance. No matter where, how you have responded in the past, no matter what you've, how you've reacted, I believe that the Lord is calling us today to respond in love, to lay aside fear, anger, indifference, or anything else that may hinder us from reaching the lost with the gospel. There may be some in this room that God has even put a Muslim in your life. I want to I challenge you. Be open to being used to reach that person. Be open to how God might use you to open your mouth and proclaim the best news ever to that Muslim person. Many others, you know, they may not be Muslim, but they're lost. And they. God wants you to use you. God wants to use your life. God wants to use your words. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. God wants to use you to lead people to him. In order to do that, we've got to be willing to 
love. We've got to be willing to lay aside whatever would hinder us, fear, anger, indifference, or whatever. We've got to be willing to lay that aside and just say, Lord, I want to be used. I want to be used to reach the lost. Right where you're sitting, if, uh, if your heart's desire is to be used to reach the lost in this community, I just want you to begin, to, I want to ask you to begin to talk to the Lord about that. Begin to, 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 to just say those names, the, 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 the people who are coming to your mind, the pictures, the faces that are coming to your mind. Just begin to talk to them right now at your seat. Begin to talk to the Lord about them. The Lord's already thinking about them. The Lord's heart is already there. He is a missionary God. And when you and I get his heart for the lost, oh, great things happen. That's the, that's the awesome thing here is that, that God is the one who's drawing people to himself. The Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself, drawing the lost to himself. You and I get to be a, a part of the process as we open our mouths and proclaim the gospel. But it's God doing the work. It's God drawing. It's God drawing. And, this, and that's wonderful. So those, those names that are coming to your mind, they're already on his mind. He's already thinking about it. I believe that in many cases, he's already drawing them to himself, but he wants to use you. He wants to use your life. He wants to use your words. So right there, your seat. And as we wrap up this morning, I just want you to talk to the Lord about that person or that people. There may be some in this room that the Lord has been stirring your heart about missions, about not just crossing the street, but crossing the seas. If that is you, I, I guarantee you, it's not of the devil. <laughs> the Lord is, to, is speaking to your heart. Go with that. Go with that. Talk to the Lord about it. Take steps of faith and go in that direction. Others of you, the Lord is just calling you across the street to talk to that neighbor. Go across the cubicle. Go across to, to, to cross some cultural boundary, possibly right here in Knoxville. Go with that. Lay aside fear. Lay aside whatever would, would hinder you. Reach the lost. Reach the lost. Lord, I thank you so much for this amazing congregation. Thank you for their lives. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for their calling. Father, I pray that you would use these precious people to, to turn Knoxville upside down with the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would bring loss to their doorstep. I pray you bring lost, lost people across their path, Lord, even Muslims. God, I pray that you would give my brothers and sisters in this room an opportunity to share the gospel with a Muslim in Knoxville because Muslims are hungry for something else. So many are hungry for something else. They're looking for assurance. They're looking for you but they're just terribly deceived. Lord, I pray that you would use my brothers and sisters to reach the lost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the faces that are coming to people's minds. Thank you for the names that are coming to people's minds this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would bless conversations even this week between those individuals. I pray, Lord God, that you'd use my brothers and sisters to speak your word. In Jesus' name.